John chapter 14. Maybe you're going to conclude this little dive into the Holy Spirit here. We'll get out of John 14 soon. Don't worry. All right? Maybe by next year. Um, but um, let's read John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. If you're there, just give me an amen. amen. All right? Whoa. I had a water. Um, John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. All right? And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And we've been talking about how much Jesus Christ says about the coming Holy Spirit in the upper room. It's, he talks about it in chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16. He's talking about this coming Holy Spirit. And, and, and we talked about a little bit why. Um, one reason why was because the Holy Ghost was not yet given the way he's given today. And he wasn't given the way he's given today yet because Jesus Christ hadn't died yet. And when he died, that Holy Spirit would be given. And, and something different was coming about the administration and the work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ wanted to preview for his disciples because they would be experiencing this new life that the Holy Spirit would be you know, doing through them in the coming days. And the second reason we said he talks about this Holy Spirit, the coming Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit so much, is because these disciples were going to need the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. <laughs> Amen. And if you're going to follow Jesus Christ like a disciple should, you need the Holy Spirit of God. Right? You cannot do this on your own. That is not a testimony of weakness. That is a testimony of fact. All right? If I said, here's a thousand pounds, here, just move it to the back of the room, saying you need help is not a testimony of your weakness. It is a testimony of the fact that you can't bear this burden, all right? And you cannot live the Christian life apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit that indwells the believer today. That's just a fact. You just got to get that and learn to lean on the Holy Spirit of God. That's the Spirit of Christ. And we looked at two questions so far related to the Holy Spirit. We looked at first a few weeks ago, who is he? And we looked last week at is he in you, like he said, like Jesus said he would be? And today, I want to maybe like wrap this up a little bit by talking about this question. What does he do? <laughs> what does the Holy Spirit do? Because <laughs> there's a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit's works. Like, what does he do? What did Jesus say he would do? So I was thinking about this. I kept going over this and going over this and going over this and and, you know, people want to make things fit lists of seven. And I'm like, I just don't see seven in the Gospels of what Jesus. I see five things. So I figure, you know, if the Holy Ghost is the spirit of a dead man, I see five things Jesus says about the Holy Ghost and what the Holy Ghost would do for his disciples. Five being the number of death. So if Jesus Christ is going to die and send his Holy Spirit, I see, and it could be wrong. That's just the way I listed them in my head. I see five things Jesus says in the upper room the Holy Spirit would do for us sitting here today. So I want to talk about what does he do? What are some of the things the Holy Spirit will do for us as believers? Let's pray and then we'll jump in. Lord, we 
do love you today and we thank you today. We praise you today and we ask for your help today, Lord. We ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to show us Jesus Christ, to draw a sinner that needs to get saved, Lord, and draw a saint that needs to just get closer. We want to be closer, Father, because we know you're drawing closer to us, Lord. We're supposed to get closer to you. So draw us now, dear God. Beckon us, Lord. Woo us with your love through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to do some low-level flying. So buckle up, right? Put your tray tables in the upright position, uh, and we will just jump in. So number one, first thing I see that the Holy Spirit will do for us. First, the Holy Ghost will teach you so you remember to apply the lessons of this book in your life. The Holy Spirit will teach you so you remember to apply this book to your life. Now, you might ask a crowd like this, a pretty big crowd, I might say, well, who is the greatest Bible teacher of all time? And people will throw out their names, you know, Larkin, Darby, Ruckman, Veach, Dean, Sabaka, you know, we'll throw out these names. But verse 26 gives us the answer. It says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. No, no, no. It's not Clarence Larkin. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate teacher of God's words. He is the one that makes the book come alive. He's the one that applies that book that are just little jots of ink on a page to transform your life out here where you walk in three dimensions every single day. Isn't that amazing? You know, my buddy Mike Colleen, he's an electrician. He can install a beautiful light fixture, but it's dead without any power. It's useless without any power. You know what you need? You need the wiring that's often unseen and uncongratulated and not thanked, but you need those wires that are behind the scenes to bring the power to the receptacle to turn the lights on. So all that beauty that's supposed to be there can actually be there. And folks, I'm going to tell you, I like to study. I like to read. You can listen to messages. You can read books. You could study your Bible for hours. But you need the Holy Spirit of God to illuminate you. He's like that wire. Unseen, often unnoticed, often unthanked. But he's the one that brings the power of those scriptures to your life, your heart, and your soul. D.L. Moody said, the Bible... Without the Holy Spirit is a sundial in the moonlight. Some of you are like, but it's a sundial. Just you think about it for a little while. We'll give you some food afterwards. You'll get it. You'll eventually get it. He's saying it's useless. First Corinthians 2 tells us how the Holy Ghost teaches. The Holy Ghost teacheth comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The Holy Ghost teaches by comparing Scripture with Scripture. Because Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. If you really want to learn your Bible, you don't really need a Bible program. You don't need a commentary. You need some, yeah, you need a concordance of some sort. You need something to show you where does it say it over here? How does it say it over there? And as you compare those verses, the Holy Spirit connects the dots. And then you start building a doctrine. You start seeing a truth as you start comparing Scripture with Scripture. And here's why he's doing that. That's why you've got to get as much Scripture as you can in you 
Because then you'll be sitting there one day and you'll be reading something in Hosea and you'll be like, I'm over here in Hosea. What in the world is going on in Hosea? And the Holy Spirit will go, and you'll be, oh, that reminds me of a verse over there in Matthew. Or that reminds me of a verse over there in Isaiah. Or I read something about that in the Psalms. And as the Holy Spirit connects those dots, he's teaching you. He's, and he's bringing things to your remembrance so you start to learn the lessons of this book. That's what he says at the end of 26. He says, he wants to bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. When the Holy Spirit is the teacher, you remember the lessons of this book. If it's just me doing the teaching, you don't get anything out of it. No matter how much I try or plead or spit or foam at the mouth or jump up and down or put together an outline, if the Holy Spirit isn't teaching you, you don't remember. I can scream at you for hours about something, but only the Holy Spirit can truly persuade you. Only the Holy Spirit can truly. So we have to humble ourselves before him. We come up here at this pulpit and preach a message. We have to humble ourselves and say, Lord, you got to be the teacher. Now, we need teachers in the flesh, but I'm not so stupid to think that my oratory or my outline or my study is going to help you. i got to beg God and say, Lord, you got to do some work now. you got to take these feeble, stammering lips and these thoughts that you gave me and somehow use them to feed a congregation of people with problems and fears and struggles and trials and hopes? That's impossible. But God can do it, right? Only the Holy Spirit can bring the Bible to your remembrance. Why? So you learn the lesson. We're supposed to be learning some lessons. Listen, I'm a teacher. I got some teachers in the house. I got a couple of them back there. One retired. He likes to remind me, right? But we got some teachers in the house, right? One over here too. Oh, don't worry, Chris. I didn't forget you. Don't worry. But the ultimate goal of teaching is for the student to remember the lesson after you're gone. To remember the lesson later on. To be able to, ready Rachel, transfer the learning to a different context. So you're sitting here listening to me yapper on about the Bible. If it stays inside this room, useless. But if you could take the principles of this book and apply them to your marriage, apply them to your workplace, apply them to your children raising, apply them to just your walk with God, success. Hey, if I teach you how to write a thesis, in my English class, the goal is that you know how to write that thesis in your next English class, in your history class, maybe even in your science class, that skill is supposed to transfer. That lesson is supposed to carry on with you as the circumstances change. And if the Holy Spirit is teaching you God's word, you should remember how to apply this book outside these walls. This is not Christianity. Out there is Christianity. This is like triage, hospital, class time. Then you got to take the lesson and take it out there and apply it. Listen. My question to you then is this. Are you a good student? Or are you stubborn? Because when I read the fruit of the Spirit, stubborn, it doesn't, it's not in the list. I read it all the time. I, I, read, I read it in the Greek. I read it in the Swahili. I read it in like all these different languages. I can't find stubborn as a fruit of the Spirit. I'm looking for it. I search commentaries. I, I read the good news for modern man. I'm looking all the place. No, even the living Bible. Nobody says stubborn. Right? You know what Christians are? Stubborn. 
We are so, I want to say another word that starts with S and T, but I won't because it's not nice. But we are stubborn. God says, I'm trying to teach you. And we're like bricks. We're like daring God to break our neck. He's, I'm trying to teach you. I'm giving you some lessons. I'm giving you some principles. I'm giving you some truths. And we're like, "Ah, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Right? That's how we sing back to God. Can the Holy Spirit teach you? Right? I knew I had my water somewhere. Can the Holy Spirit teach you? Are you teachable? You know, one of the greatest, ass- one of the greatest assets of the ministry is stay teachable. Amen. Stay humble. Amen. Stay teachable. If you're not teachable, I've got to be honest with you. If some of you are teachable, I and the guys here, we will bend over backwards. We will run a thousand miles and try to catch up with Jason. Right? We'll do all this stuff. We will try to like do all these things to teach you the Bible. But if I get that look across your face and I'm giving you counsel and giving you verses and giving you truths, and you're just not doing anything with what we're giving you, that's what God's like. God says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. If the Holy Spirit's striving you and trying to get you to pay attention to the lesson, hey, humble yourselves. Stay teachable because you got to learn the lesson. So can I ask this before I move on? Have you learned the lesson yet? Do you have to smack your thumb with the hammer 24 times before you realize you need to move it out of the way? Right? I'm, I'm telling you, I look across this room and I'm just like, when are we going to learn the lesson? Right? I'm getting like this now. When are we going to get it? Does God have to literally break our necks and leave us laid up somewhere before we'll stop and listen to the lessons of the Holy Spirit? He's like, I'm trying to teach you so you can recall the lessons, but how many times do I got to reteach this? He's how many times do I got to tell you this? He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed and without remedy. Because one day, if you don't have, I, I told you once, I told you twice, I told you 150 times, and you keep scorning the counsel of God, you keep ignoring the lessons of the Holy Spirit, and you think God's just like this dumb Santa up there, just, you know, drunk on the eggnog, just like, I'm just happy that somebody's listening to me. No, he's God. We're supposed to bow down our ear and hear the words of the wise. So be a good student, will you? Pay attention to the lesson. Number two, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I think I could have stayed there all afternoon, but I will move. The Holy Spirit will teach you another thing, John 15. The Holy Spirit will testify of Jesus Christ so you can witness for the Lord. He teaches you so you can learn the lesson and remember the lesson. And he testifies of Jesus Christ so you've got something to tell somebody else. John chapter 15, verse 26. But when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. The Holy Spirit will testify, and he does today testify of Jesus Christ. Testify means make a declaration. Establish the facts. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. You know what he did? Look at Romans chapter 1. Let me show you something he did. Romans 1. Romans 1, let me show you some of God's testimony about his son. Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, verse number 3. Romans 1, 3. 
Paul's talking about his teaching. He's talking about his ministry. He's talking about bringing people the gospel. He says in Romans 1, 3, that I'm preaching the gospel of God, verse 1, verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was God's declaration that Jesus Christ is the son of God. There's no doubt. He established the fact, not the feeling, the fact that this man is different. This man was unique. This man was God manifest in the flesh. How do we know that for sure? He raised him from the dead. Listen, we can locate the bones of other religious leaders. You can go to Saudi Arabia and find the bones of, of Muhammad. You can go out into Asia and you can, I think it's the Himalayan mountains, you can find the bones of Siddhartha Gautama, known as Buddha. You could find the bones of the popes, but you cannot find the bones of Jesus Christ because he's not here, for he is risen. Hey, if they wanted to find them, they would have found them already because there are some people looking for them bones. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. If somebody found, could find them, they would find them. But you can't find them because he's risen. You know what that's God doing? He's the son of God. God, God, God. That's God making a declaration. I like the manger. The manger didn't declare it. I even like the cross. The cross didn't declare it because other people died on the cross. But the empty tomb declared that he's the son of God. Man, you know what that does for me? When the Holy Spirit takes the witness stand, you know what he testifies of? He's the son of God. 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 First John says this, hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. That's the test. And if a spirit comes that says Jesus is not the Christ, watch that spirit. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Look at 1 Corinthians 2. You say, what do we do with this now? Now that it's been declared, what are we supposed to do? 1 Corinthians 2. Let me ask you something. Are you saved? Amen. If you're saved, that means you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, right? All right? Just pretend like you listened last week. Yes. Right? Right? Good. You know what? If the spirit that testifies of Jesus Christ lives in you, Guess what you should be declaring? 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save or except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you're being led by that Holy Spirit we're talking about, you should be declaring God's testimony. You know what God's testimony is about? The fact that this son of God lived, loved, died, and rose again for your sins. That's the message. It's not about you. It's not about your church, the church in Staten Island, the church in Bongo Bongo Land, the churches in Mexico, the churches in the Philippines, the churches in Haiti. It's not about your experience. It's about Christ crucified. That is the message that this holy, harmless son of God tasted death for you and rose again. That's the message. That's the declaration. Now go back to John 15. What does that do for me? The fact that God is declaring that and testifying of that over and over again. John chapter 15. Look what's right on the heels of him saying this. I get stuck on punctuation marks sometimes. At the end of 26 is a colon. 
Those two dots is a colon at the end of that verse. That means God's going to expand the thought, connect the dots, you know, bring the thought home, right? John chapter 15, verse 26, verse 27, he says, he shall testify of me, 26, then 27, and ye also shall bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus Christ so you have something certain that you can witness about. You have something sure that you can tell others about. You've got a message that you could share with grandma next week. That's real and life-changing and soul-saving. Not a religious buzz, but the gospel truth. That's why God testifies of those things. Listen, if I'm not sure this diet works, I'm not going to recommend it to anyone else, right? But if I've got a written declaration of the efficacy of this diet, you know what I'll do? I'll tell it to the world. I'll say it'll get you off your diabetes medication. It'll make you lose those extra pounds. Oh, man, it'll be so great. I'd tell everybody if I had some doctor-proved and tried statement of faith that this thing will work for you and save your life. You know what? I'll tell it to the world. Listen, the Holy Spirit wants to point you to the written declaration of Jesus Christ in this book. You understand that? He's trying to point you to that book, point you to that book, believe that book. That book is sure. He wants to make you know the certainty of the words of knowledge. Why? So when you listen to enough testimony, you become sure about Jesus Christ. And when you get sure, you'll tell them to the world. You'll tell people around you. You'll, 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 you'll tell your friends. You'll put the Christmas tracks in the Christmas cards because, man, this thing is real, right? This thing is real. Jesus Christ has got to become real to you. Hell has got to become real to you. Heaven's got to become real to you because if it's not real to you and you're not sure and you're not certain, you know what you're doing? You're doing what everybody else is doing this morning. You're playing religion. You're punching your little clock. You're doing your holy day of obligation. And when you're done, you'll come back the next time we take Jesus out of the box. But you know what? If God is all in all, in all and you realize, man, my brother Emil, he's up there on streets of gold now. And someday soon, I'm going to see him also. I'm going to be up there too. If you really believe that, how would that change what you talk about this week? If you really believe that. So I want to ask you this. What exactly are you wasting your time talking about? Sports? I like sports too. Look, went to watch my daughter's game yesterday morning, grabbed her at halftime, said, hey, more Jordan, less LeBron. Right? I, you know, I know sports, right? And she was the leading scorer in the game for a team. You know? Not that I'm bragging, but I am. Right? Politics? That, that's a fun conversation, right? You want to talk about Politics? You want to talk about the stuff you're seeing going on in Senate rooms right now? That's what you want to talk about? These sick, twisted perverts, these disgusting, licentious individuals. May they get saved because they're going to receive greater damnation. I mean, come on. Right? That's what we're going to talk about? You're going to talk about the TV show you're going to binge watch over the winter break? That's, that's, the, you know, <laughs> that's going to be the big topic of discussion? I like talking about other stuff too, but you got God's testimony in your lap. And you're going to talk up a restaurant more than the Son of God? That's crazy. That's just crazy. If you're not bearing witness of Jesus Christ somewhere, somehow, some way, what spirit could you possibly be of? The Holy Spirit? I don't think so. It could also mean this. You're not sure yet about Jesus Christ. 
you got to get sure. If you get more of those words of this book, you'll get more and more certain. You, hey, you want to see if the world is evil? Come down with us. Eddie could testify to this, right? Come down with us and just open your mouth as graciously as you could on a street corner. Be as nice and as sugary and kind, as polite as you can, but start preaching Christ and watch the fingers and the swear words and the get out of here and the go away and the stop this. Now, not everybody. Where does that come from? Why does that happen? If I dressed up as the Statue of Liberty and started waving a thing saying, get your taxes done over here, nobody gives that person the finger. They go down by the Freehold Mall and there's a guy standing there like, suit 60% off. Nobody says, get out of here with your suit 60% off. Get out of here. Keep your suits to yourself. If I want your suits, I'll come into your store. But if I stand out there and say, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. Oh, get out of here with that. Keep that in the church. If I want Jesus, I'll come to your church. Can you think for one second today, does that make any sense? That would only mean that the spirit in them hates the spirit in you. That would only mean that the Bible is true when it says, the whole world lieth in wickedness. Right? And if you get sure then you'll get bold. <laughs> when you get sure about this book, you'll start saying a little bit more about it because you'll be like, wow, this is the truth. Number three, go to John 16, right across the page. I'm moving, I'm moving. The coming Holy Spirit will teach, testify, and he will reprove the world to bring conviction. John 16, seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying, will come to charge the world with its faults. That's what reproof means. To blame the world for its sins. To censure the world for its transgressions. The Holy Spirit would come to do that. Now, I, I've learned a lesson the last few years of being behind this wooden thing. When the preacher reproves you, conviction only goes so far. You know, it, it doesn't really last. If I, you know, if I, if I stood up here and all I did was get on what you're wearing and get on, get rid of your social media or get on, you know, all that stuff that preachers sometimes get on. If that's all I did, it really wouldn't feed your soul. It really wouldn't do much. It, it wouldn't last. Maybe some of you would, you know, dress differently, act differently. But if I sit here and just started hammering money, you know, you got to give money. You know, if I, what's that going to do? That's going to do nothing, right? Some of you might get guilted or shamed because of me to do something, right? But when the Holy Ghost reproves you, the conviction is real. And it usually lasts. I mean, I remember being newly saved going to church out there in Staten Island for a while. And I, and I know that preachers must have gotten on music. I just know they must have said things about the music I was listening to. But you know what it did? It went in one ear and out the other with the music. It just went, whoop, I didn't think it applied to me. I was like, oh, whatever. That's nice for somebody else. But I never forget the day that on a Sunday afternoon, I listened to Pastor Mike preach a message on whatsoever ye do out of his Colossian saga, right? I remember that, and... 
I'll never forget the Holy Spirit. He didn't say anything about music. He preached on whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto man. And I'm telling you, as soon as you're sitting there looking at me, the voice of the God's voice, I don't know what it was, but the Holy Spirit was just like, you need to dump that music. Amen. And I was like, did somebody say something? I was just like, <laughs> and I just, I said, hmm, this is a watershed moment. I either pretend like I didn't get that conviction or just do it. So I just sat there and all my pirated music I'd spent so long stealing on Napster, you know, I just went, I just deleted the whole thing, ripped the whole thing out. Now, you know what that was? That was a, that's not a credit to me. That's a credit to God. That's the Holy Ghost bringing conviction. Conviction is the act of convincing someone to acknowledge their error, right? You know how you get convicted in a courtroom? In a courtroom, you get convicted by hearing the words of the witnesses, right? You listen to these words, and you get a conviction comes across from that. So that tells me this. It's not your job, Christian, to go around convicting everybody with your words. It's not my job to go police everybody's behavior and go make sure everybody's doing the right thing and name this sin. I got to do some preaching that I know. But as a Christian, my job, my central job, my responsibility is to declare God's words and let the Holy Spirit do the reproving. He'll do the reproving. Just let him loose and let him work. I'll show you how this happens. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. This happened to me yesterday. So I'll get personal. I'm reading in Ecclesiastes 9. I'm reading in my morning reading, you know. I don't, because I read in the morning. Some of you read in the afternoon, read in the evening. I don't know. I'm reading in my Bible like I'm supposed to and I want to. I'm thinking about a meal. I'm thinking about a meal going up to heaven. I'm thinking about a meal passing from this life to the next. And I read Ecclesiastes 9.4. For to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Amen. For the living know that they shall die. And I'm telling you, I sat there, and the Holy Spirit was like, did you forget you don't live forever? Amen. Like a shot. He says, you know you don't live forever, right? You know that you're going to die or leave this life. And I'm telling you, I can reason with you using my words try to plead with you using my words, or I can let the Holy Spirit use God's words. Because just reading that verse of Scripture, I'm telling you, it's like just like, a, like, a, like a, a bolt went through me, like a lightning bolt just shot through me. I was like, wow, yeah. This isn't forever. We're all going to get called home one day, whether by the upper taker or the undertaker. You know what happens? Go, to, go, back, to, go to back to John 16. Let me show you how this reproof happens. Oh, I'm spoiling your lunch, I know. I'm just telling you what you already know. It says the living know that they shall die. But you know what we do? We try to drown it out. We try to drown it out with music and life and festivities. And we forget the one demonstrable fact is this, that this life is not forever. That's more, that's more certain than taxes, right? Because some of you might dodge your taxes, but you're not dodging that death, right? Unless Jesus Christ comes back, you're not dodging that death. And it says in here, here's how it works. Now, when I say that verse, for the living know that they shall die, can't you get a sense? Don't you sense the Holy Spirit's reproof in those words? 
Like, don't you sense the spirit of Christ in those words going, son, this isn't forever. It wasn't a sledgehammer over my head. It was just like a gentle reminder. Like, don't you know you don't live forever? Right? Because a lot of times we live like we're going to live forever. Like, this is it, but this ain't it. This ain't the main show. This ain't the main course. This ain't the main deal. And some of you are stuffing your face on this world like this is all there is. This ain't it. Amen. This is practice. This is, pra- this is proving ground for what's to come. What's to come is forever. Amen. So the Holy Spirit's dealing with me about that, making me think about that. You want to see how he does it right there in Acts 16.9? I'm sorry, John 16.9. He says, he's going to prove the world of sin because they believe not on me. So maybe you're sitting there going, yeah, yeah, I do know that I'm going to die. You know what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit reproves you of sin. He says, hey, hey, you ever think about why you don't live forever? Why don't you live forever? With all the medicine and the pills and the machines, why don't you live forever? He reproves you of sin. He says, you don't live forever because you've got sin. And the wages of sin is death. And the soul that sinneth, it shall die. You don't live forever because God pronounced a death penalty on you because of your sin. He's saying, you, he's saying, you got a savior for those sins? Then he gets to verse 10. He says, of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more. He says, hey, I'm going to approve you of righteousness. He says, okay, you know you're going to die because of sin. Hey, you ever think about where you're going when you die? Are you going up with Jesus Christ? He went up because he was right with God. Are you right with God? Are you going up where he's going or where he is? And then the Holy Spirit says this in verse uh, 11. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. He says, hey, hey, judgment's coming. Why should God let you into his kingdom? He's going to judge you one day. By what standard, by what measure are you getting into God's good graces. By what measure are you getting into God's paradise? He judged the devil. You don't think he's going to judge you? That's how the Holy Spirit works. Just starting to needle away at you. Go to Acts 24. Acts 24. Is he needling at you? Is he working on you? Making you think? I know it's like that wire. You don't see it happening, but that power is trying to get brought to you right now so the lights come on. And in Acts 24, Paul's preaching to a guy named Felix. And Acts 24, 24 says, And after certain days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. Felix trembled, not because of what Paul was saying. He was rude in speech. His speech was contemptible. Paul was, Felix was trembling at the Holy Spirit's reproof. The Holy Spirit was saying, that's right, Felix, you're going to die. You're going to die one day. Are you going up? Because judgment's coming. Can I ask you this? Are you moved at all by God? Right? You say, well, I'm not convicted about it. If you're not convicted about it, whose words are you listening to? Not God's words. Because if you listen to God's words, that convicting power would start working on you. Number four, John 16 again. John 16 again. John 16. John 16, verse 12. Here's the fourth thing, and I'm, I'm hurrying, I know. The Holy Spirit will teach you 
testify of Christ, reprove the world, and number four, the Holy Spirit wants to guide Christ's disciples so they know what to do next. John 16, 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit wants to guide you into all truth. Not just religious truth. Holy Spirit wants to guide you into truth about your relationships. Truth about what you do with your body or what you don't do with your body. Truth about what you do with your finances or you shouldn't do with your finances. God is God of all. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all, Hudson Taylor said. Second Peter 1.3 says this, His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Not just what you do with the Bible, but what you do with your kids. What you do with your marriage. What you do with your free time. God says, I want to guide you into all truth. Why? Why do we need such guidance? Go to Jeremiah chapter 10. Why do we need such guidance? Jeremiah 10. Why do I need him to live inside me and guide me all the time? Not just on Sunday morning, not just on Thursday evening, not just on Tuesday. Why do I need him all the time living inside me? Jeremiah 10, 23. It's right there. Jeremiah got it. He says, oh Lord. Jeremiah 10, 23. Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. We need the Holy Spirit to guide our steps because we cannot direct our life the right way. Newsflash, just telling you the truth doesn't mean you're weak. It means you're human and you need guidance. You need guidance. Look at Proverbs chapter 16. Go to the back a little bit. Go back a little. Proverbs 16, verse 9. Proverbs 16, verse 9. Proverbs 16, 9. A man's heart deviseth his way. You got it all figured out. But the Lord directeth his steps. (laughs) You may think you know what you're doing, but you got no clue without God. You got no clue. You don't even know which way is up. (laughs) Without him, he's the standard. He's the foundation. He's the rock. How about Psalm 37? Psalm 37, some good verses here. I'll get you turned in a little bit, wake you up. Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 23. Psalm 37, verse 23. Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. God says, if you're good, you'll let me direct your steer. You'll let me drive your way. Let me lead you. You'll let me guide you. So are you enjoying the ride that God's taking you on? Are you insisting on steering the wheel by yourself? Ah, get in the back seat, Jesus. I got this. You know, right? Don't put your hand on the wheel. You know, I don't know about that song, Jesus, Take the Wheel. That's a scary song. You know? Jesus, take the wheel, take it. Don't, don't, don't take your hands on the wheel, off the wheel when you go home today. All right? 
But I mean, you know what I'm talking metaphorically. If Jesus Christ is trying, turn right here, turn right, turn, turn, no, no, going straight, going straight. I'm going straight. Shut up, Jesus. I'm going straight. He says, all right. There's a, the bridge is out. The bridge is out. Listen, folks, you want to insist on steering the car yourself. Don't blame God when you're wrecking. Don't you dare blame God when you crash because it's your fault. When you ram that wall and God told you five years ago, you're headed towards a brick wall. Don't you dare lift up accusation against the Holy One of Israel. Because he's inside of you and he's saying, turn right, turn right, turn, turn right, turn right, turn right, turn right, turn right, turn right. Follow the yellow road. He's telling you a hundred ways, turn right. And you're like, I'm going straight. And you're pushing your foot down on the accelerator. And he's like, turn right. Get off this road. You won't do it because you're stubborn. If you were driving your soul into hell before Christ, why should you trust yourself after Christ? <laughs> the best you were going to do was end up in hell, right? Spurgeon said this. He says it better than I said. He said, without the spirit of God, we could do nothing. We are as ships without wind. We are useless. He says it better than I can. Go back to John 16. Let me show you this real quick. John 16. John 16, verse 13, at the end. It says, he wants to guide you in the beginning of John 16, 13. Why? Because he will show you things to come. He's got to guide you because we can't see what's coming. He knows what's coming. I got a boy that was doing pull-ups in his sleep, and they told me he had leukemia? I remember I told Pastor Mike, he said, what? Christian's the healthiest kid in the church. I said, I know. I know. I couldn't see that coming. Can you tell me with certainty what's going to happen to you tomorrow? Can you tell me with certainty what's going to happen in five minutes? Can you tell me with certainty what's going to happen in your next breath? You have no idea what's coming. Emil, our good brother Emil, he wakes up on Friday feeling weak and he winds up in heaven by nightfall. Who saw that coming? God saw that coming, right? And we can trust the Holy Spirit's leading because he knows what's coming and he will show you where to turn. Now let me, let me do some prophesying. I read this book, I know what's coming. If you reject Jesus Christ today, I can prophesy based on the revelation of God's word, you will end up in hell. I'm telling you, that's what's coming. Get off this way and get on God's way. If you don't turn to Christ and get saved, I'm not being mean-spirited, I'm being factual. As soon as, as sure as me saying, if you turn right on, you know, 34, you're going this way, as sure, sure as I could say that, I could say, if you don't turn to Christ and get saved, you're going to end up in hell. He's showing you things to come. But let me talk to the Christians. If you resist the Holy Spirit's leading in your life, you will make a mess of your life. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. 
I'm telling you, based on the things to come that the Holy Spirit's told me, you won't beat this book. You won't beat this book. Some of you are going to die trying, but you're not going to beat that book. No matter how hard you try, that book's going to come true every single time. And when God's warning you, get off the ramp and turn the right way. So can I ask you this? If the Holy Spirit wants to guide you, are you following his lead? Or are you kicking against the pricks? I'm going straight. Well, you turn, detour, get off that bad road, get on God's way. He wants the best for you. He knows what's coming. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs 15, 22? Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. I know you just think. Well, I just think. And I just, that's your stinking problem. You just think. You don't listen. You just think. I just think. I just think. What did God say? What did the counsel of people say to you? What does the counsel of this book say to you? The Bible says, in the multitude of counselors, you're established. There's safety. Can I ask you this? Do you want to be disappointed? The Bible says, without counsel, purposes are disappointed. What you think you were going to get, you ain't going to get. You're just going to get a bucket of trouble if you do things your way and not God's way. So do you want to be disappointed? I'm just asking you out loud. You don't have to answer, but do you want to be disappointed? Who wants to be disappointed? Sit down for a good meal. I just hope this is terrible. (laughs) Go to a movie. Spend 20 bucks to go see a movie. Got your popcorn. I hope this is bad. I hope I fall asleep. I hope this is really lousy. No. God says, you got this one life to live. You got this breath I gave you. Do you want to be disappointed? So... Why won't you follow his counsel? Why is it so foreign to obey? Why is it so weird? Why is it the exception and not the rule? Finally and quickly, John chapter 16. Again, I could have stayed there for a few weeks, but I won't. But I'm telling you, man, some of you are just like, you're like tempting God. Hit me. Hit me. I'll get out of there. Just do what he said. It's not complicated. Do what he said. And when somebody that's been saved longer and is walking right and knows better tells you, hey, turn off over here, follow the counsel. Stop being a proud idiot. I'm going to prove them all wrong. No, you're going to be an illustration in a sermon one day. I take notes on everybody. I'm going to just, I'll use you one day. When you're gone, trust me. If you leave out of anger today, you're, thank you. I just got a sermon illustration. You're going to be an example somehow. Be a good one, not a bad one. And finally, John 16. I'm going to get to this. I'm going to finish this and you can go fa-la-la-la-la. All right. The coming Holy Spirit of God will always glorify Jesus Christ. You know why? So you have hope. You see, he teaches you so you remember the lessons. He testifies so you can witness He reproves so conviction can fall. He guides so you know what's coming and you avoid the pitfalls that are up ahead. And he glorifies Christ so you have hope. See 1613 at the end? In the middle, I'm sorry. He, the Holy Spirit, shall not speak of himself. You know the Holy Spirit never draws attention to himself? He doesn't speak of himself. 
Now you've got all these people that are professing Christians, and I believe they are, but they're talking about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost. They're not being led by the Holy Ghost if all they're talking about is the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost points you to Jesus Christ. John 16, 14 says, He shall glorify me, not himself. Right? The Holy Ghost of the Bible always glorifies Jesus Christ, always magnifies Christ, always points people to Christ. So before you tell me, dear friend, about your tongue's experience, when's the last time you told someone about Jesus Christ? Just asking. Don't get offended. I'm just asking. When's the last time you witnessed for the Lord? I know you got that feeling and that goose flesh came over you and you laughed uncontrollably. Okay, that's wonderful. I'm glad you did that. But when's the last time you opened up a Bible and told somebody the plan of salvation? When's the last time you pointed somebody to Jesus Christ if you claim to be led by the Holy Ghost? Because the Holy Ghost says, look at Christ, look at Christ, look at Christ, look at Christ. He says, he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. You know what he wants to show you? All Jesus Christ has for you. So you put your hope in God. Romans 8 tells us, if you're a child of God, you can be a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You can actually share in his glory. You can partake of all his riches. And the Holy Spirit wants to show you that. Go to 1 Corinthians 2. We'll finish in 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2. Look at verse 9. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Man, he's got some stuff waiting for us, folks. Been a couple of days now, Emil's enjoying it. That's all I think about. Emil's enjoying it. All his infirmities fixed, everything's fixed. Some of you got loved ones up there. They've been enjoying stuff for years. They see that it's real. They're up there enjoying it. Amen. You can't fathom it. Paul went up there, got a glimpse of it. God said, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Thank you, Lord. Right? So if you think you could speak in a heavenly prayer language, how does that work if the guy that went up to heaven said, don't say what they're talking about up there? Just, just think about that for the rest of your life, okay? You think the Lord had anything good for his son when he went up there? You think when Jesus Christ died, rose again, and was received up into glory? You think it was a good reception? Don't you think it was, you know? My son, you know, the Lord let my son get through cancer. We tried to have a nice reception for him. Can you see Jesus Christ abolish death? You think the father had a good reception for him and he marched back up there? You think the angels were, you know, sounding the horn and people were screaming? You think it was an exciting time when the son of God came back and said, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. You think that was a big (laughs) to-do? We make big to-dos down here. You think the Father made a big to-do up there? You think he's got anything good for you if you follow Jesus Christ? How about an old soldier like Emil? You think Emil didn't get a well done? You think a Frank Taramina didn't get a well done? You think some of these people that have gone on like a Frank Krupe didn't get a well done? If Jesus Christ got a good reception... Some of you don't know those names. You know who knows those names? Heaven knows those names. You think Hudson Taylor didn't get a good reception? Buried his wife and kids? You think uh, David Livingston let his heart get buried over there in Africa? You think he didn't get a good reception? You think these people didn't get a good reception? Maybe they were were aliens to this world. The Bible says the world was not worthy of them. 
You think some folks who you've never heard their names, maybe out there in North Africa getting mowed down by Boko Haram, you think God's not going to give them a good reception? You think folks out there maybe hiding in North Korea for their life, hiding Bibles under the ground so they can bring them to people later on, you think they're not going to get a good reception? These people that have laid their life down for Jesus Christ, like Jesus Christ laid his life down for somebody else, you don't think they're going to get a good reception if they follow the Savior and laying their lives down? What's waiting for you? What's waiting for you? 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10. But God, see, we can't fathom it. He said, Lord, if I could just see it. He said, you can't see it. It'll blow your brains out of your ears. He said, okay, verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, ye the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. You know what the Spirit of God wants to do? Show you everything Jesus Christ has for you. Amen. He's trying right now to grab a hold of you right now and say, Oh, this life is but a vapor. I got something waiting for you that's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Literally unbelievable. Would you just... Trade the immediate for the eternal. Just push through a little long down here without so you can have everything up there. Right? They got this guy, Shohei Otani, right? I don't know if I said his name right. I had to Google how to say his name right. That, That Japanese baseball player that signed with the Dodgers like a week or so ago. They're paying this guy $700 million. I had to read it like three times. $700 million. They take a wooden stick and hit a hard ball. I'm in the wrong business, right? Brain surgeons in the wrong business. Neuroscientists in the wrong business. Man, I need to be able to throw an inflated ball in a ring or something somewhere. $700 million. And this week they had him come down to Dodger Stadium and all that stuff uh, and, you know, put on the uniform and smile. You know what they did? They walk him around. They show him everything that's ours is yours, man. We're paying you $700 million. You signed with us. We want all this, Shohei. It's all yours, man. Make it home. Make it yours. It's all yours. Just a little while, you're going to get to put on the uniform and, 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 and run the bases and, and do all the stuff that you can do. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. When you got saved, you know what you did? You signed with the winning team. You signed with the winning team. Didn't cost 700 million, it cost Jesus Christ his blood. Amen. And he shed that precious blood, that priceless blood, and you signed on the dot and said, I want to get saved. He signed you to the winning team. You know what he does right now? You know what the Holy Spirit wants to do right now until that day comes? Verse 12, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. The Holy Spirit of God wants to show you the unsearchable riches of Christ. Holy Spirit wants to take you like they took Shohei Otani. Just take you through that Bible and say, this is all yours, son. One day, this is all going to be yours. Streets of gold, eternity, a kingdom that never ends. You say, you think you're playing ball now? No, you're just stretching now. When God ends this thing and his kingdom goes out into eternity, that's when we play ball. That's when the game is on. That's when we're really going to be doing something that lasts for eternity. This is just, we're just stretching now. Just getting the synovial fluid in the joints and getting some so we don't pop a hamstring. We're just getting ready right now, and God's proven us right now. But when it ends, when God says it is done in Revelation, it's just begun. And he's getting you ready for that. You know what he's trying to show you right now? Look what I got waiting for you. Come on, man. You sign on the dotted line, you say, are you saved? Hey, 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 look what I got for you. Streets of gold, 
eternity, peace, victory. You know, you're going to be up there in an innumerable company of angels and the church of the firstborn into the presence of the living God. You're going to be up there with all that stuff. Man, isn't that hope? Isn't that hope? <laughs> Where else are you going to look for hope? A political figure? That's your hope? Whether he's a donkey or an elephant, right? And I like, I tend to like the elephants more than donkeys, right? But anyway, but they're both looking like donkeys right now, if you know what I'm saying. Right? So where you're going to look to the Federal Reserve? Oh, they're just going to pull us out. You know, they're just going to run the printing press and they'll just make some magic money. Infinite QE. You know, we're just going to QE. We're going to quantitative ease. Sounds like you're taking a laxative. You know, we're going to do some quantitative easing, you know, just to help you pass through this time because I know you're all financially constipated. So we're just going to have some quantitative easing. That's how my mind works. Sorry. You're going to find your peace at the bottom of a bottle of pills? That it? Now, sometimes you need the pills. I get it. I'm not hating on that. But that's not where all your peace can come from, where your hope can come from. Somebody said the presence of the Holy Spirit is the keystone of all our hope. He's like the pipeline that just keeps bringing you hope, bringing you hope, bringing you hope. So where does your hope lie? Holy Spirit is trying to glorify Christ to say, hey, you could be next to him. If you just give him your fill in the blank. But you want that fill in the blank so bad. You just won't give Jesus Christ your fill in the blank. You want that relationship, you want that time, you want that whatever it is, and forgive me for saying so, you're being so stupid. There's no other word for it. It's like, why are you holding on to that little thimble when I've got a treasure chest behind me? See, if the Lord told his disciples all the Holy Spirit would do for them, i got to ask you this as I close. What are you doing with the Holy Spirit? Like, here's what he's trying to do in your life. What are you doing? You doing anything with it? And if Jesus Christ died to give his Holy Spirit to us, will you die to self? So he could do, so the Holy Spirit could do something through you. Jesus died to give you the Holy Spirit. Will you die to yourself so the Holy Spirit could do something through you? That's the challenge. He wants to teach. He wants to testify. He wants to guide. He wants to convict. He wants to glorify Christ and give you hope. Will you let him? Will you let him? Let's bow our heads and pray.